Welcome to the Walder Sportscast with your host, Chris Walder. Welcome everyone to episode 37, the Nick Van Exel of the Walder Sportscast. As always, I'm your host, Chris Walder, and I'm on both Twitter and Instagram at Walder Sports if you ever want to hit me up, of course. And be sure to leave a rating and review when you're done here to help support the podcast. So I'm really excited for the future of this show. I have guests lined up for the next month or so. I'm ahead of the game here, which is quite rare. I got some responses back from people that I've really wanted to chat with, and I'm grateful for their time. I was also fortunate enough recently to establish a working relationship, which will benefit the podcast immensely. A sponsor, if you will. I can't say anything just yet, but... Be on the lookout for some exciting news involving the Walder Sportscast in upcoming episodes. But as it pertains to today's show, of course, I'm happy to have Blake Murphy back on for a second time. Blake is arguably the biggest and most popular Toronto Raptors writer on the beat today, with all due respect to all of the other amazing media guys and girls out there. He's incredibly nice, incredibly generous with his time. I enjoyed having him back on in episode 6 of the Walder Sportscast last year. We even recorded this interview shortly before the Raptors defeated the Brooklyn Nets on Wednesday night, but he was still able to squeeze me in, which means a lot. Before I bring Blake on, though, I have to plug my last episode with Krina Mustafa, who wears many, many hats for so many bloody outlets, it's insane. But you can find her mainly on the up-and-coming Unbenched Sports for a lot of her work. I was extremely flattered that so many people were excited for her to be on the show like it was some sort of big deal. She's an incredibly popular figure on Raptors Twitter. She has a great support system. She just recently returned to Twitter after a short hiatus. I seriously hope she's doing well because I had a blast talking with her about the Raptors and even jelly-filled Timbits, which I still don't see the appeal of, but to each their own. Give her a follow on Twitter, at KrinaMM. With all that being said, though, Blake Murphy will be joining me after this quick break, so keep it locked. Returning to the Walder Sportscast is Blake Murphy, a Toronto Raptors reporter for The Athletic and co-host of both the Raptors Reasonablist and Columbia House Party podcast. Blake, I'm happy to chat with you once again, my friend. Yeah, thanks for having me on, buddy. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. As good as someone could do during these uh, unfortunate times, unfortunate circumstances with COVID and, and the lockdown in, in Ontario. And that's kind of where I want to start with you today, because it's almost like nothing has really changed since you and I last recorded, because we're still in the thick of it with the pandemic. We're on a stay-at-home order. I mean, it even snowed today on Ontario, which is <laughs> something for, for late April. So how would you say you're doing mentally, physically these days? days with all of these restrictions and then you know our age group of course having to continue to wait for vaccinations yeah it's uh i mean look it's tough man this is month 14 of this i I live alone so it can get pretty isolating and i'm i'm pretty diligent with the with the covid stuff um not taking a lot of risk i live in kind of one of the the hotter zones and you know so yeah it's it sucks (laughs) but like you know i haven't seen 
family or friends a, a ton and um, you know, I'm certainly missing the the kind of community elements of living downtown Toronto and right. covering the Raptors. But big picture, I'm still employed and I'm still healthy and my family's healthy. So I have uh, on the on the spectrum of things, relatively little to complain about. I just I just miss everyone. Well, the last time you and I talked as well was in June of last year, I believe. So it was roughly a week or two after the murder of George Floyd by Officer Derek Chauvin. And you and I are recording this on April 23rd. So a day after Chauvin was given a guilty verdict on all three counts, including second and third degree murder. So Blake, I'm not sure how closely you followed the verdict that day and the trial as a whole, but what was your initial reaction when Chauvin was ruled guilty? Because there was certainly a widespread anxiety that he was going to avoid facing repercussions for his actions here. Yeah, I mean, the the first thing is kind of an exhale of relief. Um, you know, you just, you want to see that accountability there. And I don't, you know, that that quickly turned to, okay, let's let's not act like this is you know, the finish line or a solution. Like, yeah. George Floyd is still dead. That police officer still felt like he was acting with impunity to do that. Um, you know, we are a teenager with a cell phone camera away from that probably being swept under the rug like so many others. And then another young black person is shot by police the, the same day. Right. So we're, we're nowhere near a solution. But obviously in these cases, you know, uh, that level of accountability and, and a police officer, you know, you hope that that sends a, a <laughs> message that, hey, you're not you're not going to get off uh, as innocent every time. Um, you know, I, I think big picture police are still going to act with those levels of impunity. And, and you know, we have a lot of work to do in terms of defunding the police or, or you know, completely rethinking how we protect our communities. Uh, but for for a day, uh, or at least a, a couple hours, uh, a nice to be able to um, exhale that, you know, hey, this in this instance, the person was held accountable. And, um, you know, I think there was probably a lot of relief to that regard in the basketball community as well. You know, the, I, I cover the Raptors. They, they have two players in Gary Trent and Freddie Gillespie from the Minnesota area. Um, obviously, the Raptors spoke very openly about how the murder of George Floyd uh, affected them as a team in, in the first place. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's it's obviously, it's better than not guilty, but uh, it's nowhere near as good as police not killing black people anymore, which is uh, hopefully where we'll go eventually. And I was going to bring that up as well. Like you had that quote on your Twitter feed from Gary Trent Jr. on the Derek Chauvin trial and his expectations for a verdict where he said that he was scared that nothing was going to happen. So from the last year or so, from your perspective as a media member, of course, from the Black Lives Matter movement to the Derek Chauvin verdict and everything kind of in between, what have you been seeing from the players and, and coaches and how it's impacted them as people and, you know, even the organization as a whole and any support they've been showing throughout this whole, the last year or so? Yeah, I mean, I think with any of these things, you know, it, it there are certain good things that teams and leagues will try to do. But at the end of the day, you know, we've seen time and again that these are these are businesses and those, um, you know, what they're willing to do has a kind of a, an extent and a limit. Um, but I think, you know, on the whole, the basketball community has probably had a positive impact on these things, um, you know, from 
the WNBA kind of rallying the vote in Georgia that that was so yeah. important to you know even players just speaking out I, I think it does do something in their home communities now having said that I, I think we're probably past the point in this process and for us as a media where there's a need to unless a player you know actively wants to speak on something you know I think we've we've bordered on or, or gone past you know, asking these young black men to kind of relive their traumas in front of a microphone and in front of a camera. And uh, yeah, I tweeted that Gary Trent quote out. I, I didn't ask the question myself, um, but, you know, when, once he says it, it, it's relevant to put out there. And I, I thought it was a, an insightful window into the perspective of, of a young black man from that community. Yeah. Uh, but I think, you know, as a media, it's we're, we're past the time where our role is just asking players to relive this stuff over and over again and passing on their quotes. I think, you know, the time has long been, and I know some some media have been active in this, but part of the solution goes beyond uh, just kind of amplifying uh, the message. And I think, I think we're at that point for sure. I'm going to switch gears here, which is never easy when it's such delicate subject matter, of course, but I did say off the top that you are a writer for The Athletic, and in one of your most recent pieces, it was based around the notion of whether or not the Toronto Raptors should be tanking the remainder of the season for a high lottery pick. Now, before we talk specifics, Blake, covering a team that has had such a long string of success, basically since 2013, when they last finished under the 500 mark, have you noticed any substantial changes in the way you kind of approach your writing or how you cover the team, especially during such a season, you know, with the circumstances surrounding it, with the, the losses piling up, the lack of fans, you know, the COVID cases, or for you, is it just kind of business as usual and you simply roll with the punches as you would any other year? Yeah, I, I guess like it's a little bit of both in the sense that I have a job to do still and I can't, you know, I can't really not do that or withdraw from it or anything like that. Uh, at the same time, you know, how I've approached this season has certainly changed. And that was mm -hmm. true in the relaunch with respect to social justice. And it's been true in this season with respect to COVID. And obviously the Raptors have gone through some very, very difficult things this year. So uh, the challenge for someone in my position is how do you communicate that and navigate that knowing that there are certain people who are going to, um, you know, not want to hear that or, or hear it as excuses or, or not want the caveats. Um, and, you know, that's that's pretty unfair to the to the team and the players, given what we mm -hmm. know about, uh, you know, what they've all been going through. But that's, you know, that's the challenge in my role this year is to, uh, is to balance all of those things and how do you balance, you know, what's mostly kind of a lost year with, you know, the fact that these guys are, are going through it and you maybe don't want to, you want to kind of steward the rest of the season as sensitively as possible if you're the team and you're obviously, you know, looking long-term competitiveness in terms of the norm for Trent trade and maybe, yeah. you know, resting guys and stuff. So it's, you know, there's just a little more nuance than usual because the only thing at play is not wins and losses. And, and it's been, you know, there's always business at play and there's always personal elements of the sport. But up until, you know, the relaunch, you could kind of, if you were a fan or a writer, you know, put that stuff aside and focus on wins and losses and process and results. Whereas now there's just, you know, basketball is a lot more than that um, mm -hmm. for the time being, especially around the Raptors. Do you get that in your notifications a lot on Twitter? People saying maybe not talk as much about social justice, you know, kind of like the, the stick to sports crowd. I'm seeing a lot of that pop up more and more on my newsfeed. Yeah, I don't really care. Those people can fuck right. off. 
I mean, like, first of all, my Twitter is a personal account. It's not, you know, it's not Blake Murphy, the athletic or, or the athletic NBA or anything like that. Um, it's my personal account. And yeah, I use it for work, but uh, I'm also a person living in this world. And I don't like seeing my friends and people from my community scared and, and worried and um, dying. And so yeah. I'm going to use that however, however I feel. Um, you know, the people who honestly, we did, we haven't got it a ton in the comment section, um, you know, there was obviously some stuff and you get the, oh, but the NBA does business in China. What about is right? And, yeah. Um, you know, that could be frustrating. But I think, you know, I think Raptors Twitter as a whole does a good job of this. And then I think, you know, at least I, I personally try to, you know, you want to create a, an atmosphere where that kind of insensitivity or trolling isn't welcome. Right. And, yeah. and um, I do think Raptors Twitter does a good job of that, with the exception of occasionally you know, kind of amplifying shitty takes, um, yeah. quote retweets and stuff. You know, I'm a big I'll only reply to put you in your place, not quote retweet to <laughs> kind of give you the rub and put you over. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know, man. It, there, you're always going to get some of that stuff. But sports has never been apolitical. Like, anthems first started getting played at games in 1918 to, like, rally up pro-war jingoism. Like, uh, <laughs> as far back as... You know, it's like like old school, old school baseball, as far back as that, as far back as the invention of the NBA or the NFL, like sure. the anthems have been a political statement and done with political intent. And, you know, you can't the stick to sports crowd doesn't actually want you to stick to sports, because if I started tweeting a bunch of right wing stuff, they'd be all for it. Those people are saying it. And then, you know, so it's not a you just got to understand what the actual intent is there and how you want to use your Twitter account. Like I, I understand that there are people who don't, you know, say anything but work stuff on their accounts and that's, mm. that's their choice, but that's, that's not going to be me. I can't, you know, I'm a member of a predominantly white media covering a predominantly black sport living in a very diverse city with right. diverse friends and peers. You know, I, I'm not going to sit out, you know, social justice stuff and even COVID stuff. Like I'm, I don't know. I'm just not going to do that. I'll learn one day on my end not to quote retweet uh, certain people, you know, spreading the negativity. I want to have a more positive vibe for my account. And you certainly go about that a lot better than I do. I mean, look, I'm I'm not I don't like Rosalie respond to these jackasses. Sometimes I'll put them in their place. I'm just not going to, you know, quote retweet them. So suddenly a bunch more people get to see their yeah. comment and see their account. Like, I think that's what they're looking for sometimes. You know, but I don't know. And, and like people tell me, like, why do you respond? Like, they're just trolls. It's just I, w I don't want my mentions to be a place where someone feels comfortable being an asshole. No, absolutely. That's why the block button and the mute button is there, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't use the block button because I've seen too many people like I've seen too many accounts when you click on them. It's like their pinned tweet is like, ha ha ha, Doug Smith blocked me. <laughs> and it's like wearing it as a badge of honor. And it's like, no, 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 you're not. Again, I'm not going to put you over, but I right. will. I will let you know you're an idiot. like the put you over line stick into the wrestling i like that oh. we'll talk about we'll talk a little bit of wrestling later in the podcast but you know from a strict basketball perspective blake what do you think it's like being a prominent part of raptors twitter during such a year like this because it's kind of like a dr jekyll 
Mr. Hyde mentality because even when the team is winning games like they've been doing recently, you have the fan base kind of split down the middle because there's a portion of fans who would love to see the team in the play-in, potentially the playoffs, and then there's many others who are kind of on the hashtag fade for Cade bandwagon and want the team to pursue his high lottery pick. What what do you see on Raptors Twitter from those two kind of crowds? Yeah, I mean, look, Raptors Twitter is pretty smart and they're pretty funny and they're pretty entertaining, at, at least the people that I follow. Uh, so for the most part, you know, seeing those things has been at least mildly entertaining. Like, look, I don't want to <laughs> relitigate it after every game. But yeah, it's funny when Robel gets going about the Cade stuff or, or yeah. you know, when Woodley has a meltdown about everything being fine or, um, you know, even before the Woodley stuff, like like Kelsey's been on the let these guys play. The young guys are actually really good train yeah. since the start. And hey, it turns out when things are going better and guys are playing better, it's a lot more fun day to day. Um, so I'm, I understand both sides of it for sure. Like if I were playing 2K, and this were the season, I'd be tanking for sure. But also, like, we have a month or six weeks left of Raptors basketball. And if people want that to be more enjoyable and more entertaining while seeing growth from the young guys, I get that too. So, um, you know, I think I, you know, you cultivate what you see on Twitter, right? So I don't see the yeah. worst of it, I don't think. You know, I get some nonsense in my mentions, but... And, and, like, people are obviously, they feel quite strongly about it. But the reality is, like, you could sit... Kyle and OG and Pascal and Fred for some games here and there, but you can't Al Horford your entire core yeah. for months at a time. I, I think one of the more fun aspects of this season too is kind of seeing the array of players the Raptors are trotting out there because there's been so many different lineups, different combinations, and then the, the big performances, which just kind of come out of nowhere. And I forget the context of this stat, but the Raptors have had seven or eight different players, to the best of my recollection, score at least 30 points in a game this season, which is pretty unbelievable. Blake, simply looking at those second unit guys, guys who are looking for more minutes, more of an opportunity, trying to keep themselves in the league, like a, a Paul Watson, a Yuta Watanabe, maybe even a Freddie Gillespie for to a lesser extent, which player has been the most pleasant surprise for you this year? Yeah, that's a... Uh... You know, that's a, a tough question um, because those those are the guys, right? And I think you can go a couple ways with this. I think Paul Watson, just my level of investment in Paul Watson was pretty high. Uh, mm -hmm. Having tracked him through the G League and like him getting signed in early 2020 when I was on that road trip with the 905 was like, it was perfect for like, hey, Blake, here's your story. Um, <laughs> so it's that's been cool to see and to see another guy kind of go through each step of the grind. Malachi Flynn's been awesome lately, but yes. I also expected him to be really awesome. <laughs> so uh, I think the winner here goes to Utah just because he spent the last two years on a two-way getting no opportunity. It didn't look like he was going to be in the mix um, in camp. Like he had to, he had to really beat out uh, a guy like O'Shea, who's back in the NBA now and playing well yes. um, and who had experience with the team. Like, he had a tough road to make it uh, and then not only made it, but carved out this role, had an injury and bounced back. And just there's so much joy around him in terms of everyone around the team just loves him so much. And then obviously yeah. the, the Japanese media and the Japanese fan base element of it. It's uh, It's been you know, a spark of joy in a pretty joyless season. And hopefully we get a little bit more of that down the stretch here. Do you think Yuta Watanabe signing that first NBA contract of his was the feel-good moment of the season for the Raptors? Or is there something else that comes to mind? Because if it isn't that, you know, perhaps it's maybe 
the all-female broadcast, that game against the Denver Nuggets, or maybe it's the Gary Trent uh, Jr. game winner, or maybe something else entirely. F- Fred's franchise record scoring night. Oh, uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Jeez, that feels um, like forever ago. I know. And, and the other thing, I, you know what? I'm going to go with the all-women's broadcast night because that also doubles as the Kyle Lowry goodbye night, oh, uh, right. which is... Uh, <laughs> Which was like obviously looks silly after the fact when he doesn't get traded. Yeah, but was it was one of like the most touching nights on Raptors Twitter on the broadcast, Kyle's post game interview. So to have that kind of hand in hand with the all women broadcast and like Megan and Kia and, and Kayla and Kate and Amy all did such an amazing job. You know, I see it every handful <laughs> of games. Like, hey, can we get them back? And it's it's like, look. Kia's got a WNBA season about to start. I don't I yep. don't think she can do color commentary right now. And, you know, Megan could probably fill in a little bit more, but Megan's also got the WNBA season and the Olympics to uh, to prepare for yes. uh, for the for the Mystics and Canada basketball, respectively. So, um, you know, I hope we're headed there eventually with more involvement from those people. But, yeah, what, what a night that was. And it was it was so cool to, like, talk to some of my friends back home who have – you know, kids who are six, seven, eight years old now and just, you know, aren't necessarily basketball fans, but had the curiosity of, hey, why, why is this special? Why is this important? Yeah, um, it's been cool to see. And now, you know, let's keep it going. Let's get that WNBA team here already. <laughs> this may be a weird question because obviously Ken Birch was in, in Orlando. Gillespie was only recently coming aboard. But how much better do you think the Raptors would have been this season had it been those two in the front court roles instead of an Aaron Baines and an Alex Len? Or is that just a marginal move in either direction that ultimately wouldn't have impacted the win-loss record for the Raptors? Yeah, I don't – I mean, I think Birch is better than – like Birch would have been an upgrade. Birch was a guy that I wanted in the off season. Uh, I wanted at the trade deadline. I was willing, I would have been willing to give up assets for him. So yeah. um, that's a, that's a real thing. He's a, he's good. He's a, <laughs> he's a guy as they say, um, you know, Gillespie, if he'd been there all year, he wasn't ready for NBA minutes at the start of the season. He's, okay. you know, part of the draw with Gillespie is how quickly he's picked everything up and how, like that capacity for improvement that he's shown because he's gotten better at each successive level so quickly. Like he basically, he was injured a bunch in high school. So he barely played through high school, landed at D3, more or less redshirted his first year in D3. He only played 16 minutes, Mm -hmm. Um, then was a D3 standout. Then he got to Baylor redshirted a year, came off the bench a year, then he was a standout. Gets to the G League, he's okay to start, and by the end, he's one of the best uh, defensive bigs in the G League. So um, that's what's most intriguing to me about him as a prospect, is just how quickly he's gotten better at each level and and how quickly he kind of applies that stuff. So having said that, I like him a lot, but I don't know that he would have done much for the team earlier in the year, uh, and he probably would have been 905 bound uh, anyway, it's it's two opposite ends of the spectrum here because one guy is certainly going to make more than the other long term. But is it a no brainer for the Raptors that guys like Gary Trent Jr. and Ken Birch are going to be long term pieces for the franchise? Or is there anything we have to kind of have in the back of our mind? Because it seems like both guys genuinely want to be Raptors. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, look, Trent, they're going to have restricted free agent rights on it. And that's going to go uh, a pretty long way to helping him stick around. He's about to get a significant raise, um, Mm -hmm. which is a real thing to consider. Uh, But, you know, kind of the bet with the Powell for Trent swap was that 
Trent will make less than Norman Powell, and he's you know significantly younger. Yes. So um, they'll try to you know you'll see how you'll see how that works out. Um, I don't want to you know I don't want to say for certain that Trent's going to be back and as a long term piece, but they definitely traded for him with that intention. So you know that's. Uh, it's tough. And then with Birch, I mean, Birch Birch wants to be there. There's not much question about that. Um, yeah. You know, it's just a matter of how do you how do you make all those pieces uh, work in the offseason? And, you know, do, it, is he willing to take a minimum? Is he willing to take, uh, you know, something they can get him with it without eating into their cap flexibility? Those are the questions for the offseason. But I, I don't think there's uh, – I, I think Ken Birch is back next year. I'm <laughs> It's just like it's too good a fit. He's too role certain. He's too he wants to be there too much. Nick Nurse loves him. They're gonna need a backup center or whatever. Like oh, even yeah. if they love Boucher and Gillespie, Boucher's better off at the four. Gillespie still needs development time. You're gonna need that spot on the depth chart. And who better than a Canadian in his prime who who thrives in the backup role? You know, I think it's just a natural fit. I just want to quickly run through some likely and unlikely scenarios with you, Blake. It's a segment I occasionally do on the show, and I would love to throw some your way quickly here. Yeah, let's do it. Likely or unlikely, based on his recent historic stretch, Stephen Curry is now the favorite to win NBA Most Valuable Player. Uh, Unlikely? I think there's too much Jokic tape at this point, and I, I think, you know, the bar for how much your team has to win is just a little too high, but this is unbelievable this is so much fun (laughs) likely or unlikely and i hate to say it or imagine a scenario but the raptors are going to come to regret not trading kyle lowry for anything unlikely um because you know he's still they still have his rights to sign and trade um it's Mm -hmm. still possibly sticks around now if he leaves and it's not a sign and trade then likely but i i think those two paths are are higher And, and then i think you know, we don't really know for sure what the offers were, but it certainly doesn't sound like they were very good. So, yeah, I'm that's a tougher one, but I, I'm going to stick with uh, unlikely. Uh, just as a follow-up there, would it ultimately be a, a bad look, kind of a stain on the franchise, maybe Masai Ujiri? Because you look at the, the starting lineup of that championship squad, Kyle Lowry, Danny Green, Kawhi Leonard, you know, an, an Ibaka as well, Marcus Saul, all of those guys leaving and not necessarily getting much in return, if anything, because it was all free agency. Does that come back to the Raptors as a blemish, if you will? Yeah, I mean, I think that was part of the the impetus for for seeing what they could get for Powell. And, you know, I don't, I don't love the phrasing of they left for nothing because you got a championship. Yeah. Uh, that's a pretty big something. And in, Kyle <laughs> Lowry, and in Kyle Lowry's case, you got the best Raptor career of all time. Uh, however, yeah, if you continue to lose guys off the depth chart without restocking the pipeline, especially when like you've traded, what was it? Six second round picks and four first round picks over a four year span or something like that. Right. Um, that's when you get into like, yeah, like you, you have to, you can develop guys and you can find, you can unearth these gems and stuff like that, but you also need guys. And, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, that's where Kawhi and Danny Green, 
like you didn't have a chance to to get something back for them because you were post championship. Um, Gasol and Ibaka, you could argue a little bit more, but also they like right around the trade deadline last year. Not only were the Raptors pretty good, both of those guys were dealing with injury stuff. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and so you know you get to a point where Lowry and Powell are really the only guys you can you can swap maybe. So um, you know, look, it's uh, it's not easy to to kind of sustain that stuff, right? And likely or unlikely, current injuries notwithstanding. The LA Lakers and the Brooklyn Nets are still on a collision course in this year's NBA Finals. Likely, uh, however, uh, I don't know what that like. That's a the injury stuff is a is a real big if right now. Yeah. Do Do you think it's going to be? Is it a fair assumption that these guys will be you know perfectly okay for the playoffs? I mean, the Nets seem to be hit a little bit harder these days. It sounds like LeBron and AD are nearing a return. Yeah. The the Harden stuff, the setback, and the uncertain timeline is is tough and i do think that you know even healthy these guys that brooklyn team like hasn't played a lot together and they're gonna have to get through at least one maybe two of philadelphia and milwaukee um those are not easy series even if you like the brooklyn team at full strength a little Mm -hmm. better so um you know i i thought the lakers were in a bit of peril uh, not that long ago, but uh, you know the Jamal Murray injury changes things. Um, we don't know how how quickly or how um, smoothly Donovan Mitchell is going to come back. I think the Clippers look real good lately, which is uh, irritating. Um, <laughs> Just a little but, bit. Uh, yeah, but you're it's all right. I mean, I think the Lakers and the Nets are probably still the favorite to come out of uh, come out of each side. Well, Blake, you know this upcoming segment because you've done it once before, but I do have some fun rapid-fire questions to send you on your way. Uh, You know I'm not good at the rapid-fire, though. I'm too long-winded. I have to stop calling this rapid-fire. It's never that fast, but I'll figure it out at a later date. So I recently interviewed the Aaron Baines fan club, a polarizing Twitter account to be sure, and he did list you, Blake, as one of his favorite accounts. Now, Aaron Baines may never see the floor again for the Raptors at this rate, which I'm sure a lot of fans would be fine with, but for the account itself, do you think the BFC gets too much grief on social media? And as a wrestling fan as well, are you happy to see him go full speed ahead with this heel turn of his? Yeah, I mean, look, I I tweeted as much. The best heels in the history of the business are justified in what they're saying. Uh, They're just a little misguided about how to resolve that. So uh, I definitely think BFC qualifies. I I think he's been he's been wronged and too many people have taken uh, their ire out on not just him, but Baines as well. Like like Baines's last month or so before they got Ken Burch wasn't that bad. Yeah. He was like, okay, which is not the bar for a guy like that, but you know, you do what you can. Um, but yeah, I think, I think too much of that went at BFC, which had always maintained this fun, lighthearted approach to things. That it's not like, did people think that the BFC account actually thought Aaron Baines was the greatest <laughs> player in, in NBA history? Like, uh, come on, what are we doing here, guys? So uh, <laughs> it's great. I, I'm glad to see the heel turn. Uh, It's long overdue, and uh, the people deserve that. And he's a big wrestling fan as well, which I dig. He's he's using a lot of Roman Reigns memes, which I appreciate. Yes, I also liked it because it lets me play the other side of it and, um, (laughs) you know, fire back at him with the the recent Kevin Owens feud with Roman Reigns because... 
you know, I, unfortunately, I do at times look like Kevin Owens. Uh, so it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's been cool to play off of that. We, we've done, I don't want to break the fourth wall too much, but there's been some, there's been some occasional brainstorming on, on what could come next. Oh, I, I won't. I won't pester you for details. I'm, I'm just saying. Actually, I, I will bring up now since you did say that you look like Kevin Owens. What was it? You had a tweet recently saying that you have the, the the scruffy hair, scruffy beard, and then like you had a headband. You're going for a headband look. Yeah, it's not a. It's not my favorite. Uh, I. Uh, but I haven't been able to get a haircut since. Um, <laughs> I don't know. November, early November, I think, was the last time barbershops wow. were open here. So, uh, this is the longest my hair has ever been. And I tried cutting it myself a little bit, and that was fine, but it's not mm -hmm. something that I want to make a habit of. Uh, so, um, yeah, so we're we're in, like, Trent Beretta territory now. Ooh, you looking forward to the, the match tonight with uh, Penta, Penta El Zero Miedo on uh, AEW yes. Dynamite? Yes, I, uh, I will not get to watch that until uh, whenever I'm done writing Raptors, yeah. but yes, that's uh, that should be a fun one. I... Best friends are great. Uh, you know, had the 76ers acquired Kyle Lowry, I would have been, I would have very easily changed my, you know, who I was rooting for in the playoffs to Philly for both Kyle Lowry and Chucky e. T. So I'm waiting for you to have Chucky e. T on your podcast. I mean, just to talk some Philly basketball. Yeah, I mean, we might. I mean, yeah, maybe if they if the Raptors win the play-in and get that first round matchup, but there's a. I don't know that, that there's a lot of interest in the Raptors side of that, that matchup right now. <laughs> well, you have the wrestling connection at the very least. But, exactly. You know, speaking of shows, you did mention during our last podcast that Scrubs is your favorite television show. Now, I'm unsure if something else has jumped to the top of your pecking order, but I've never seen a full episode of Scrubs in my life. So for a newbie like me, what would be your pitch to get me to watch Scrubs over the hundreds of other quality shows out there? Yeah, I will say that um, Scrubs is my favorite, like, light, like um, lighter watching show. It's not a completely light show, but uh, if we were going, like, if I was trying to be more objective about it, like, Sopranos is number one, and I don't, okay. I don't think there's a, there's a, I don't think there's a lot of argument there, uh, but Scrubs is great, and it's, it's this nice mix of goofiness and, and sweetness, and you get those little bits of like it's still a medical drama at its heart, but it's a medical drama rooted in in comedy and kind of these these very rich and well developed characters. Uh, it has a good soundtrack, has a lot of fun cameos. Mm -hmm. uh, I think you should check it out, man. If you're, uh, yeah, I mean, that's it. That's the sell. <laughs> well, my fiance and I are watching The Circle right now on Netflix. It's a show that I never envisioned ever watching. You know, I'm not a reality TV guy, but I'm I'm hooked. Hook, line, and sinker. Yeah, I have not seen that one, so I uh, I can't help you there. Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't know <laughs> uh, what I'm looking for there. I see tweets about it and stuff, but I have not I've not watched it. it it's a uh, it's um like a reality. Is it a reality dating show or is it a reality like, it, competition show? It's like Big Brother, but everyone lives in an apartment, but no one leaves their room. All anyone does is talk with like Twitter messaging. And all the games are conducted that way, and then two people become influencers and then block someone from the circle. It's a really weird premise, but being on Twitter as much as I am, I can kind of appreciate it for what it is. Didn't that just happen on uh, Lakers Twitter over the over this week? Oh, God. I still don't know <laughs> the full details of that. What is it? The Vivian Catfish story? Sure. Oh, my God. Are you familiar with, with all of the details there? Because I'm not. I mean... Not enough to explain it to people, enough to have fun with it, but... 
another podcast, maybe I can get uh, the people responsible behind that whole mess mess uh, on the show. I think that would be a lot of fun. But uh, I think everyone is still denying their involvement is the issue. Oh, is that the thing? I don't think we've uncovered, uh, or or at least nobody has admitted to uh, being the culprit yet. Uh, Twitter, you gotta love it. So I caught you off guard last time when I asked for your Mount Rushmore of Blink-182 songs, and I was happy to see that you gave the band two episodes on the Columbia House Party, which I believe is the only time you've done that for a band, but I'm going to venture off to another band that I adore, perhaps my favorite group of all time, and that's Linkin Park, because you covered Hybrid Theory, which I believe personally is their second best album of all time behind Meteora, but I won't ask you for a Mount Rushmore, but I'm curious... Which Linkin Park songs you believe belong on any definitive playlist? Hmm, okay, let me. I'm gonna bring up the track list for Meteora so I don't forget anything and and have you be mad at me. There's some real uh, bangers on there, man. There sure are. That, hey, look, the, the fact that uh, some of Meteora's best songs, you like, when we did that episode, Jake wasn't sure which album they came from, <laughs> is, uh, you know, that tells you right. that. So, uh, yeah. okay, so. Um, I mean, really, I would put basically all of Hybrid Theory on there, <laughs> and then uh, Numb and uh, Faint and Somewhere I Belong, probably even Breaking the Habit. It's like yes. it's uh, it's really good. I, I think off of Hybrid Theory, like obviously um, the singles are big for a reason. Uh, mm-hmm. A place for my head is a non-single that I that I think is right up there. Love uh, that, cure, yeah. Cure for the itch. I don't have a lot of Linkin Park takes uh, after. Meteora, mm-hmm. I didn't. Uh, I didn't love like Minutes to Midnight and A Thousand Suns. It's mostly just a, a two album band for me. But you really can't mm-hmm. go wrong with anything off those first two. I was gonna go see them in concert, and then two weeks before I was supposed to head to the Molson Amphitheater was, was when Chester Bennington unfortunately took his own life. It was it was mm-hmm. such a heart wrenching passing because I grew up listening to a lot of Linkin Park. I did a project in middle school on In the End which uh, not a lot of people can probably say, but rest in peace, Chester, and a lot of Linkin Park stuff, like we say, Meteora, Hybrid Theory, it's all gold to a guy like me. But, you know, I I said we were going to talk some wrestling, so, you know, the recent WWE wrestler cuts asked a couple of guys I know you hold near and dear to your heart, one being Bo Dallas, (laughs) since no one loves a good Bo Leave tweet or me more than you, my friend, and, of course, Wesley Blake, one half of the former NXT Tag Team Champions, Blake and Murphy, who you have been mistaken for on more than one occasion. With all due respect, of course, they were two of the lesser releases since they haven't been on television a great deal, but what are your fondest memories, WWE memories, of Bo Dallas and Wesley Blake, and do you see either of those two ending up in another major American promotion. Yeah, I mean, the Wesley Blake stuff uh, was just funny for a really long time that there's this tag team called Blake and Murphy ruining my SEO and like getting wrestler <laughs> wrestling fans in my DMs telling me Alexa Bliss should leave me. Uh, and it's like, yeah, uh, if she were with me, she absolutely should leave me. But uh, I'm not I'm not who you're looking for. Uh, the, there was one guy one time who um, sent me like this big long message about how Hideo Itami was gonna kick my ass. Oh um, wow! I got one guy who I thought was messaging me about Raptor stuff, and then after a couple messages, was like, "Can you ask the revival to to unblock me?" Oh, uh, good God! <laughs> and I was like, "Nope, no, absolutely not. I can't do that." Uh, I don't know the Bo Dallas thing. I just think his NXT title run was like super underrated. Yes, uh, the whole delusional motivational speaker kind of thing. The, uh, the gif of him running around the ring with the thumbs up and he knocks over El Torito. It's, uh, he was, I don't know, that was just a fun, sweet character. 
and like a good like a great character for uh, a babyface to be going after and chasing because he's so naturally unlikable. Uh, in terms of if they're in anywhere else, I could see it with Wesley Blake just because like he's young and he's a good like the quote unquote he's a good hand for for tag stuff or whatever. I don't think it'll be in any kind of prominent role. Uh, and then Bo Dallas, I don't know. I, I saw something that he's like he like lives on a self-sustaining farm and like is just like so removed from wrestling at this point. Uh, so maybe maybe if Bray gets released at some point, him and Bo do something. But for now, I'll say I'll say no. Bo Dallas in the Impact Zone. Is it weird that we never saw Bo Dallas involved with the Fiend? Like that yes. that feat, that felt like a seamless transition for those two, a seamless pairing. Yeah, unless maybe they didn't want to be together to like like keep their careers separate. I don't really know, but um, the yeah, there's a lot of ways you could have gone with with that uh that story and yeah that hey, story whether it was like wyatt family era or fiend era like there's just you know it's <laughs> it's they're real life siblings like that's that's a natural fit for uh hey i'm having a mental breakdown character like are you a fan at all of new japan pro wrestling's new iwgp world heavyweight championship belt design and and as well will osprey Winning it from Kota Ibushi just 31 days after it was introduced. Yeah, I don't, I don't like the design of the belt. I don't like the unification. Uh, I'm fine with Osprey getting a run on top. His work's been really good uh, for a while, and, and Ibushi's title run to me was falling a little bit flat. Um, so a bit of a, a bit of a start of the wrestling calendar year <laughs> reset, which uh, New Japan has done fairly often. Um, so I don't know. The belt's ugly though, and like. It's it's silly that they unified the titles. I think as a guy who like enjoys the history of the belts and stuff like that, it's. Uh... It was back in 2018, Blake, when you posted a photo of your notebook, oh, no. and I recently pulled it up again and glanced at the page and couldn't, for the life of me, figure out what the hell you had written. And I, I think someone made a beautiful mind joke about you as well. I'm not sure how much you remember about that post, or even if you still have that notebook, but. How on earth do you read notes like that? Because it looks like it's some sort of special language that only you understand. Uh, not only do I have that notebook, I have several of those notebooks. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Uh, so I have, during the um, like watch from home era of basketball, I've transitioned to doing those on my computer uh, because I can have like multiple screens up. Whereas if I'm at a game, space is kind of... Yeah, I can only have one screen and I could just leave the notebook on my lap or whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, the key with those ones is that there's not actually a lot going on in there. Um, that's like all that. Re it's it started kind of started for two reasons. It started one because um, I thought like play recognition and the tactical side of things was the weakest part of my analysis game. And I wanted to put greater emphasis on that. So by taking notes, um, it forced me to pay attention to it a little bit more. And then I could go back and, and watch. Like I would have time stamps written down to go back and watch certain stuff. Okay. Uh, and then the other thing was like, it's really easy to look down and then look up and you miss a minute and a half of the game because you were on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> so taking notes prevents me from doing that. Uh, and then you only look at Twitter at like a break in play or something like that. Um, so it was a little bit of discipline as well. But the actual notes are just like, it's just shorthand, like a, a player's initials or a player's jersey number, what the action is, what the result is, sometimes something about the defender. You know, it's it's mostly just to like keep my mind active on the game and not 
not get distracted by stuff. And lastly, Blake, I read the piece that Sam Toman did on you earlier in the month for the community edition, and it kind of put into perspective the influence that you've had on so many other writers out there and those who you've helped along the way, like our friend William Liu, Vivek Jacob, Kelsey O'Brien, just to name a few. If you were to stop writing tomorrow, stop doing what you do, which I hope isn't the case for a very, very long time, of course, is that what you'd be most proud of from your writing and media career, the influence and aid you've provided to so many others out there? Um, yeah, I mean, I think so. I, I think, you know, you're overstating my, my impact a little bit, as Sam did. And, and as much as I appreciate that, you know, the people you named and, you know, the people who've come through Raptors Republic or... or who I, I've tried to help otherwise, you know, those people don't make it without their own work ethic and their own quality of work and stuff. Absolutely. Um, but you know, uh, the positions that I found myself in, like, sure, I've worked really hard to get them, but you wanna pay that forward and pass it on. And, you know, there are just so many bright and diverse people following the Raptors and, and who wanna cover the Raptors. Like we all kind of owe it to, to elevate and amplify that good work. So, um, you know, it's something that I, I'm, I'm proud of and I think I think it's cool for sure but I certainly don't take uh take any credit for the the success of those people so um career wise I don't know what the thing I would be most proud of is the thing that I that I turned uh a not not a job into a job for uh, a few years at least well (laughs) well Blake you are humble to a fault I always appreciate your time my friend you are truly one of the best and if there's a harder worker than you in sports media I haven't met them yet and having worked alongside you for the short stint that I did at the score I know firsthand how hard you work but for now let the listeners know where they can find you on the web. Yeah, they can find me at Blake Murphy ODC on Twitter. All my Raptors work at The Athletic. Uh, if you don't subscribe to The Athletic, you should. And you can hit me up for, I don't know, I almost always have some promo code or discount link or something like that kicking around. So uh, <laughs> if you're not a subscriber yet and want to be, drop me a line. Blake, thanks again, buddy. And hopefully one day, because when I interviewed Andrew Zuber, he wanted you two on at the same time to preview Ooh. WrestleMania. I couldn't make that happen. Maybe we can pull it together for SummerSlam this year. Yeah, or whatever the next big AEW one is or whatever. I, uh, I'm i a little behind on some wrestling stuff right now, so, uh, but I'd imagine there's something big coming soon, right? Ah, of course, the exploding barbed wire deathmatch part two, you would believe. Yes, I'm certainly not counting, uh, no offense to our friends at Impact Wrestling down the road. Uh, but I am not I am not counting whatever that event is where Kenny's going to take their title. <laughs> Blake, thanks again, man. Yeah, no problem, man. Thanks for having me on. And that was my interview with Blake Murphy, who you can find on Twitter at BlakeMurphyODC. You know how I know he's the nicest guy in the world? I'm pretty sure I called Freddie Gillespie Freddie Gillespie at some point during the interview. I'm so bad with names on occasion, but... Blake didn't call me out on that in the moment. Maybe he missed my slip, of course, but it still rings true that Blake is a class act through and through. He does such tremendous work for The Athletic, and if you're not checking out his work on the regular, you're seriously doing yourself a disservice, whether you're a Raptors fan or not. This has been episode 37 of the Walder Sportscast. Leave a rating and review if you like what you heard today, and be sure to download the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Podbean, and basically everywhere else. On next week's show, I'll be joined by Shemroy Parkinson, who is the executive producer of the Roz and Mocha Show for KISS 92.5 here in Toronto, as well as a correspondent for Breakfast Television as well. 
Longtime listeners will remember him from the Raptors Positivity episodes, so it's going to be fun having him on for an extended interview. For now, though, that's another one in the books. So as always, I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Walder Sportscast. Hit that subscribe button on iTunes and follow Chris on both Twitter and Instagram at Walder Sports. <laughs>